we're well over 200 million followers and hundreds of billions of views on top of the work that we do with clients. I mean, we've generated 50 billion views plus and generated hundreds of millions of followers with our clients. The first experiment with Facebook, I was testing everything. I mean, I, I had tested 5,000 variations of content in 30 days. Now that doesn't mean I was testing 5,000 pieces of content. I was taking each piece of content and testing it hundred, 200 different ways. Yeah. Uh, the reality of this situation is, is they just have one job. It's retention, keeping people on, on these platforms as long as possible with hundreds of billions of messages sent out on these platforms every day. That means there's hundreds of billions of messages. The algorithms have to choose from to keep people on the platform longer. We stand today. The business method the business with method. a shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring over 500 episodes of entrepreneurs and high-performance experts dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. We've been fortunate enough to interview some of the leading experts in business and performance today. The billionaire CEO of Priceline, Jeff Hoffman, the CEO of Chipotle, Monty Moran, world's top big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, the first black woman to build a billion dollar company, Janet Halroyd, world's top investment expert, Jim Rogers, and the list goes on and on. All of these guests you can find on the podcast backlog using Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and any podcast app you prefer. Also, you guys, have you started listening to our micro high performance episodes yet? We've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 interviews that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just 2 to 10 minutes long. We publish these on Monday and Friday each week, and those episodes are labeled as HP number 123456 and so on. Those episodes are live now, and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content while you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered as soon as they're live. And now, let's hop into today's episode. The Business Method. Hey listeners, real quick before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our trips and adventures for entrepreneurs. We have live events in different locations around the world, luxury trips to the Caribbean, adventurous trips to knock off your bucket list, and of course some private business events as well. If you're an entrepreneur, we'd love to have you join us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thebusinessmethod.com to stay updated. And for those established entrepreneurs out there that want to be involved in a community that is curated specifically for seasoned business minds, then we have a group for you. Inside this group, we have private live events in different locations around the world specifically for our members. We get those members in a place where they can connect, collaborate, and grow their companies faster just by being around one another. We also organize private podcast viewings and Q&A sessions with some of the world's top entrepreneurs like Jim Rogers, Alex Hermosi, the CEO of Chipotle, the marketing mind behind GoPro. And as a member of our group, you'll get to hop on calls with our podcast guests regularly to ask them any questions you want. And the last benefit is access to private world-class masterminds that are specifically curated for whatever challenges you're going through at the time. Our purpose with this private community is to help you expand your network, connect with some of the brightest minds in business today, and help one another overcome business challenges faster. You can learn more about our community at thebusinessmethod.com. Remember, subscribe to stay updated. And now, let's hop into today's show. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Today on the podcast, we have one of the world's top digital media strategists on the show. He is the author of One Million Followers, where he dissects how he built this massive social media following in only 30 days. He's been hired by Fortune 500 companies and celebrities like Taylor Swift, Rihanna, and Michael Strahan, and the applications and platforms he has created for his celebrity clients have been accessed by over 50 million people worldwide. He's partnered with MTV, served as vice president president of digital for Paramount Pictures and helped scale one of the largest social optimization firms in the world. His name is Brendan Kane, and today we're going to talk with him about how you too can build a massive following and how we can stand out online in today's digital world. Brendan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to connect with you, Chris, and everybody that's uh, tuning in. Likewise, my friend. I'm glad to have you on the show. I am excited because I bought this book 
not too long ago, 1 million followers. And I love people that can figure out ways to do things better or figure out ways to just become professionals or masters in their trade. And it seems like you've done that with this book and with your social media strategies. I was checking out your Instagram as well, and you're giving really great advice. And I heard this stat from some, I think maybe the book or or some of maybe your website, but it says the average person is exposed to over four to 10,000 ads per day, which is mind blowing. And then over 60 billion messages are sent on digital platforms daily. Is this true? Yeah, it's, I think it's actually more than that at this point, because I remember reading an article a few months back where it said WhatsApp alone, 100 billion messages a day are sent onto that platform. So we're talking hundreds of billions of messages sent out in the world across all of these different platforms. So it's a very different and noisy world um, for anybody that's trying to market anything. And so how, how do we succeed? It, it just seems mind blowing. And I'm, I know so many people that struggle with social media and people that invest a lot of money in it and they're challenged with it. And we can talk about like dissecting some of the steps in your book, but top of mind, like what's going on right now, Brendan, what do you recommend people do? Well, I think first and foremost, is just understanding the world that we live in uh, mm-hmm. today, because it's, I mean, we work with companies that are pre-revenue all the way up to like 30 billion a year in revenue. And it's just really interesting that there's a lack of fundamental understanding of the world that we live in today. And there's a lot of marketing practices that were proven and used for the past hundred years that no longer really work today. Yeah. So kind of the way that I like to paint the picture is if we go back 20 years to like 2001, pre-social media, maybe there's a million content creators on the planet that are reaching the masses because reaching the masses was heavily regulated in the fact that you had to go through a television station, a newspaper, a magazine. Mm -hmm. It wasn't available to everyone. Either you had to have a really amazing story and connections to these editors and publishers, or you had to pay high premiums uh, to get your message into these um, platforms or distribution outlets. We fast forward to today, uh, just in 20 years, we go from a million or so content creators reaching the masses to 3.96 billion content creators on the planet. Wow. Because each one of those are people on social media. And and as we know, each one has the ability with a click of a button to publish something. Does that mean that every single piece of content goes viral? Does it mean every single one of those 3.96 billion people is creating content on a daily basis or creating content in general? No. But it shows you the difficulty or the transition from going to this place where there's just a handful of people to just billions of people. And as we started out the conversation, hundreds of billions of messages are sent out into the world every day. So first, as a marketer or just even a content creator, really understand that that's the landscape that we're living in Uh now. Does that mean it's impossible? No, it doesn't. It, it, you know, the, it's a great opportunity because now we have these tools at our fingertips. We don't have to go through the television stations, the radio stations, or have personal connections in order to get our message out there. So that's a plus. The challenge that we all face is we're fighting against all these noise, this noise. Yeah. In addition, I think one of the other things that people um, don't take into consideration that I think is really beneficial is you're no longer living in a world where you're just competing against your direct competition. You're competing against every piece of content. So like it or not, you're competing against Netflix. You're competing against LeBron James or Kevin Hart or Kim Kardashian. Uh, Does that mean that you have to have that production value or the fanciness to your content? No, but at least understand it. Because a lot of what we do is pattern recognition, is understanding the patterns that are put out into the world every day so that we can break those patterns and stand out. Uh, So I I think that that's one place to start. Uh, Another place is really understanding how content uh, distribution reaches the masses. And I'm going to throw out this term that may uh, baffle some people, may get people angry, but it's the reality of the world that we live in. And it's the algorithms, like Mm -hmm. the algorithms that we're talking about from an organic perspective, control, reach, and distribution. Those algorithms do play uh, into paid marketing as well. We, I kind of use the term auction in it, but you know, when we, when we think about the algorithms, um, whether you like them or not, 
they have one job and one job only. And that's to keep people on these platforms longer because the longer that we stay on these platforms, the more ads they can serve them. And that's how they make money at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of myths out there to say, oh, well, you know, like this boosting post is it's to suppress reach. So you have to pay for reach. Um, you can't, the algorithms are just there to, to, to suppress everything. So you can pay more for advertising. That's not true because if it was, nobody would ever go viral. You would always have to pay to go viral. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The reality of the situation is, is they just have one job. It's that it's retention, keeping people on, on these platforms as long as possible. So again, going back to how we started the conversation with hundreds of billions of messages sent out on these platforms every day, that means there's hundreds of billions of messages. The algorithms have to choose from to keep people on the platform longer. Yeah. So really, uh, and I dive deep into this in my second book, and it's a little bit in, in, in the One Million Dollars book, but there's really two key things that if you can master, you'll be successful no matter what platform you tackle um, or what changes happen to the algorithms is, number one, are you stopping the scroll? Or maybe yeah. in YouTube, it's clicking on the thumbnail and headline, but are you grabbing that attention in the first few seconds? Because that's the first signal to the algorithms, whether you're good at retaining attention. Because mm-hmm. people are scrolling past and they know you're not good at a stopping and grabbing that attention, but but holding it. So they're automatically going to suppress your content. So number one, can you grab that attention in the first few seconds to stop that scroll or earn that click? And number two, how good are you at holding that attention? Because there was that whole phase around clickbait you know, where everybody was trying to trick people into attention and it did work for a period of time, but the algorithms, the search engines, the auctions have really gotten smart to that. Uh, so those principles really, I'm not going to say never work because I'm never going to say nothing never works because you can always find a use case, but, uh, as a, as a marketer or a content creator, you can't just get by, by just grabbing attention. You have to hold that attention for as long as possible. Uh, and what we kind of look at the retention graph of of content so those are the two primary things that if you can master um which is very simple you just stop the scroll and hold the attention but it's not easy to do uh, there's a lot of nuance into doing it but i think that that's kind of the starting point um to really set the stage for the world that we live in and how to kind of uh get good at this new landscape of of marketing through these digital platforms what are some of the best ways to stop the scroll? Because it seems like, I mean, I know for my my Instagram, for example, it's like the same stuff. It just keeps popping up over and over, and I'm sh- I know that's the algorithms working. But what are what are the attention grabbers that can get people to stop the scroll so people can start to grow their followings more? Well, I mean, there's not a blanket answer to that because it's different. I, I think number one is under, you know, especially this, the subject matter that you're talking about, make sure that you don't fall in the trap of saying the same thing in the same way as everybody else. It's like meme cards, the burned in text at the top of, of videos. In the beginning, when that first came out, any meme card could stop it because not everybody was doing it. But in the reality of today's world, everybody's trying to use meme cards and burned in text. So just the sheer text at the top of it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to stop that scroll. So as I mentioned, you know, a lot of what we do is pattern recognition so that you can identify the patterns and then break the patterns. Uh, so like, for example, one of the tools that we've used successfully uh, is subverting expectations or flipping things on its head. So we had a video that, go, uh, that went viral that said, warning in all capital letters, safety is dangerous. So it's flipping something on its head to stop. Now, um, if I would you know, would have bought into something like it was like, you know, safety is the key to success or something or something that you you've heard before. Then you're like, even if I have a unique perspective, you're gonna be like, I already know what this is going to say. Even if you, even if it's completely different, we had another one is, um, sweat the small stuff again, flipping something on its head. So that's one tool. Another way of looking at it, the place both to stopping the scroll and also holding retention is we took an ad and I don't even know, it must've been 10, 20 years ago from um, Asia. And there's this crazy ad that we found where there's these guys interlocked 
um, laying down and like bird poop starts landing on them. And then like they start freezing and they're like shaking and like all this crazy stuff is going on. Uh So all we did is we took that ad, put a meme card on it that says, you will never guess what this ad is for because it doesn't reveal until the end. Okay. So first you, that it grabs your attention with the meme card, but then also this visual with like the first few seconds, like bird poop is like flying on these guys heads, not in like an overly comedic way, just like in a strange tension building way. Mm -hmm. But then what it's doing is because we say, you'll never guess what this ad is for. And they don't reveal what the ad is for until the end. It plays to that overarching kind of goal of building the retention graph of that video. So those are kind of, um, you know, just two examples, but again, it's like really, what is a way that you can stand out that's is still playing to your story. Cause I don't want to, uh, I don't want to like be in the business of tricking people or, or mm-hmm. clickbait or things like that. It has, that doesn't mean you can't subvert expectations. Like we, we subvert expectations like warning and safety and dangerous, but we always tie it back to the story or the message that we're getting across. Hey, real quick to the listeners out there. I want to ask you something. What are you doing to optimize your day-to-day performance and productivity levels? You know, guys, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and we're always trying to learn more and more about how each and every one of us can optimize our performance. The reason why I'm asking you is because today our show is sponsored by the good folks at Seas. Seas is a mental wellness company that aims to empower entrepreneurs and high performers with supplements to enhance their productivity and minimize their pain points. Flow is their flagship product, which is a ready-to-drink powder that comes in a 30-day stick pack that works as an energy and focus enhancer. Flow was created to improve your focus, increase your alertness, enhance your creativity so you can tackle the prime tasks of the day while staying in a creative flow state. On top of that, there are no energy crashes with their product flow, which means an improved mood and enthusiastic approach to business. These benefits are a supreme advantage for entrepreneurs and high performers to sustain their performance on a regular basis. Flow is an instant and sustained boost. It can be a replacement or enhancement for coffee so you no longer require many cups per day to combat lethargy and the sluggish part of the day just to stay on top of things. Flow will give you what you need to get your brain cells firing so you can optimize your work results, hit your goals, have more time doing what you love, and spending time with loved ones so you can seize each and every day. When you sign up for Seize's VIP list, you get first access and can receive 50% off the pre-launch offer, you guys. That is half off during this pre-launch offer. Just head over to Seize.life forward slash the business method. That's Seize, S-I-I-Z, Seize.life forward slash the business method to get your discount. We'll put all the links in the show notes, you guys. And now let's hop back into the interview. So you've been in the game for quite a while, I think. 16, 17 years or something like that. Did you, in the early days, did you know this is something that you wanted to focus on when you started seeing social media and and the internet going where it was? Or how did you fall into what you're doing now? Yeah, so I started, I mean, I remember the Friendster days even before MySpace. So like I remember discovering it like 2003, 2004. And in the beginning, no. Like I wanted to be a film producer and I moved to L.A., in about 2005. And like everybody else, I started at the bottom making coffee and copies and deliveries. And when people ask, well, why did you move to LA? And I said, I want to be a film producer. I could just see people's eyes glaze over because I was just one of a million people. Uh, so I had to really take a step back and analyze, well, what is the best way that I can stand out and grab that attention? And uh, in college, I created a few internet companies really just to learn and experiment of what it took to, to create a business because in film school, they don't teach you anything about business. Uh, and then, uh, through that, I just noticed that in the film industry, it's, it's really different than pretty much any other industries. Like you invest tens of millions of dollars, some case, hundreds of millions of dollars in a single piece of content. And then you need hundreds of millions of people around the world to know about this single piece of content in a matter of months to, to have a chance of generating profit, let alone just breaking even. So with that, I would see this tension and anxiety and stress that would come over the office every time we finished uh, a piece of content, a film. Uh, So I just kind of saw that tension and that anxiety and stress. And I said, listen, 
uh, I can help us tap into traffic sources online uh, for a fraction of the cost of what we're paying through television, print, and, and radio, and in some cases, no cost at all. So that's where I started to get delve deeper into this space. And then I hit an inflection point in the film, uh, in the film business where I just realized that it wasn't what I hoped it would be. It was more corporate. And it is, it's a corporate, you know, entity. Was, uh, I was hoping it would be more creative. And then just kind of looking at what I had learned in doing all these things for films, I just saw that there was more growth potential and it was more kind of suited to my entrepreneurial spirit to stick with this world of social and digital. So fast forward then to 2017 or so, or 2018, I believe you published this book, One Million Followers. And I know it got quite a bit of fantastic feedback because I know a lot of people that have, have checked it out and really used a lot of the strategies in here. So you were starting social media, a social media following from pretty much point zero. And you wanted to see how many followers you can get in as rapidly as possible. Can you break us down, break it down for us, Brendan, how the mindset going in to starting this project before even writing the book and what your focus was and some of the strategies that you use that really worked for you? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, just so everybody knows, we've kind of revised the book like three or four times at this point. So um, even though it was published uh, 2007, 2018, we have updated it several times. But to me, um, and I work with clients a lot on this, it's, is I think most people are failing with their marketing message because um, they're focusing too much on what they know people need, but the consumer isn't there yet. So we talk a lot about needs and wants is like, if you know the consumer needs something, but they're not in the mindset to receive it, then you have to start with what they want to lead them to the fundamental needs. So that's where, you know, I had learned a lot of, of being in this space for, for quite some time that I felt could, you know, provide value to people in the world. Uh, but if I led with that, I know it would have fallen flat. So I knew with social media, there was a big craze of people wanting followers, wanting audience. So I had anchored into this experiment that I knew was possible because at the time I was doing a lot of work for journalists, celebrities, and athletes in terms of follower acquisition. And uh, what I wanted to really get across to people is the importance of, you know, testing content, the psychology of content, how to create shareable stories, um, strategic alliances, the seeding of like what hook points are. Uh, so I, I, I said, with all those things that I want to convey on top of what people um, that don't read the book and kind of the negative feedback that we get on the book is everybody just looks at my social channels and judges whether or not the material is going to be good. What they don't realize is, A, collectively the people that we feature in the book that reveal their strategies were well over 200 million followers and hundreds of billions of views. On top of the work that we do with clients, I mean, we've generated 50 billion views plus and generated hundreds of millions of followers with our clients with the materials in it. Um, but it just seeded the idea in my head is I knew I could do it because I had been running all these tests and experiments for my clients. It was a matter of why I should do it. And it was to anchor to all the things that I wanted to you know, really express to offer value to people. And before I even did it, I called up, you know, a very prominent literary agent uh, that's represented like $5 billion worth of book sales. And I just asked him, hey, I'm thinking about doing this experiment. You know, would you um, sign me as a client and get me a publishing deal uh, if I do this? Is it interesting? Is it a good enough hook? And he said, yes. Um, and then I tested it with some other, you know, people in the industry that I knew. And it's like, is this, you know, would this be something that you would read or you would buy? And when the indications were positive, that's when A, I did the experiment and then B, turned that into a book. Okay, take us to the start of doing this because I think a lot of people really want to 
do something like this. Like I think a lot of entrepreneurs or creators out there or influencers or aspiring influencers would love to take 30 days and just work their butts off and create some really awesome content to even get, you know, 10,000 followers or 100,000 followers or something like that. I think that could make a significant shift in their business and their following. Going into the mindset of preparing to do this, was there is there any recommendations you could give people that would want to try something like this? Yes. Uh, number one, why? Okay. Why do you want to do it? Uh, because this is not you know, this is not something that you're going to do in 30 days be done with it. And all of a sudden, everything's going to fall into place. I mean, right. uh, even with our social channels, which we neglect a lot um, because we're focusing so heavily on on client client work, uh, there is a tremendous amount of work that goes into supporting it. Yeah. So a lot of the things that uh, I focus on is how is this sustainably moving forward your business goals and objectives? Because there is a big issue with creator burnout and fatigue. Because it's a lot of work to create content, and it's a lot of work to create content on a regular basis. Uh, you know, and and again, what I did was purely an experiment. I wasn't trying to become a celebrity or an influencer, and that's also why we neglect my social channels often. We don't produce a lot of content because it's not our core goal and objective um, with the business. We focus on profitability and revenue first, and then reinvest it. Uh, into other types of ancillary uh, content. So number one is like, okay, well, no matter what your goal is, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, a million, 10 million, what is the strategy to allow that to fuel sustainability into that plan? Because you're not just going to create cool content today and be completely done with it. It just, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Number two is what is your content strategy? and plan once you have the followers. And this is where oftentimes when we work with clients that approach me after reading the book, they're like, well, I just want a million followers in 30 days. Or I want 100,000 followers or a million followers. Well, first question is, is, well, why do you want that? Do you need to make money today? If that's the case, then we need to create some other lead generation or other um, you know, direct conversion type campaigns to get that revenue flowing so that, again, we can make it sustainable so you don't get that burnout and fatigue. Number two, what is the content strategy? Because as we mentioned, uh, the world that we live in with the algorithms, there's so much competition. So even if you have 10,000, 100,000, a million, a 10 million followers, it doesn't mean you're going to reach all of them. You know, And this is where there's a lot of misinformation about looking at follower numbers and be like, oh, that person purchased un, uh, fake followers or unengaged followers. Uh I'm not going to say that never happens, but a majority of the root cause of that is your content is not A, stopping the scroll and B, holding the attention. Because I could point to accounts that have done all paid acquisition and gaining their followers that have high engagement rates and people that are purely organic that have uh, gained massive followers that, that have um, low engagement rates. So there's examples uh, on both sides. So to me, like, and I, I really love the fact that you started off with the mindset question, because I think most people really overlook that is those are the two places that, that I fundamentally like to start. And, you know, especially a lot of the work that we're doing today is, is really focusing on uh, a viral content engineering process that, that we've developed to, to really dial in, to understand what it means to create content in this new world that we live in. Um, Because again, all the followers in the world aren't going to mean anything if you don't have the right content that that can be dialed in to reach those people that you acquire and even beyond that. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you've got your why, you've got your purpose, knowing that if somebody's going to do this, uh, that they're going to, this is something, this is a long-term vision. So some people come to me from time to time and ask if they should podcast. And I say, you know, can you see yourself podcasting in five years? And if they can't answer that question, then I tell them they probably shouldn't be podcasting. I would imagine same thing with building a following. If you can't see yourself working that following five years down the road, is there a point in doing it now? And maybe that helps helps them tap into their why. So you're getting ready to start this and you did this in 2017. Is that right? Yeah, I think the, so the initial experiment was that, and then we did it like 10 other times across multiple years. 
So I first started on Facebook. I did the million followers in 30 days on Facebook. And then I devised an entirely new system uh, to hit a million followers on Instagram. Okay. You focused on a target audience, right? And so I would guess a lot of creators out there probably have a target audience and entrepreneurs as well. Um, but were you going in cold? Were you choosing an audience that you decided, oh, I think this would be a good one that could get a lot of followers in a short amount of time? Or did you have a passion for your audience already and you decided this is going to be my target? It's a great question. And I think that this is where a lot of people go wrong is like the traditional marketing uh, methodology is really niche down, design a very specific piece of content for a very specific audience. And when you're talking about growing a following or you're talking about organic um, performance, and this even goes to paid, is the more you niche down, the more struggles you're going to have. Because again, it's when you think about all of the choice of content, and we can talk about how this applies to paid because it does apply to paid um, acquisition, is the algorithms or the auctions are going to favor the content that retains attention for the largest audience possible. So the more that you niche down means the more the algorithm tries to syndicate your content behind or beyond that audience, the more likely it's going to fail to either stop the scroll or hold attention or both. And thus you're really going to struggle. So some people may be, you know, throwing their hands up in the air and being like, well, that's not how you create a business because if you're everything to everybody, you're not going to sell anything. That's not true. And I'll give you an example. So uh, there's a, a real estate agent, Ryan Serhan. I don't know if you know him, but he's one of the um, top real estate agents in the world when it comes to selling premium properties. Uh, and he was on a show called Million Dollar Listing, but I can we can talk if you want. Celebrity does not mean that it's going to drive social performance. I've seen it hundred times that it doesn't. But what he did so brilliantly is he's selling 10, 30, 50, $100 million properties. So he has a very specific audience that can buy that property. But what he did so brilliantly is understanding the landscape that he, um, the landscape that we live in today from a marketing perspective, he said, you know what, I'm going to make my content interesting and digestible for the general audience but still play to my core target. So if you go to his YouTube channel, he'll go to our $7 million closet in New York, $150 million ranch, you know, a $50 million penthouse. And because he's structuring his, his content that way, who doesn't want to see what a $7 million closet looks like, even if you, you can never imagine being able to buy it. So what it does is it triggers that click, it triggers that retention, so now the algorithms are seeing, wow, people really like this content. Let's keep seeding it to more and more people. So it generates millions of views. And he's intelligent in the fact that he knows that um, within those millions of views, maybe only 10 people can afford it. But those 10 people are still there. And he's attracting those people. And he said that he sold 15, $30 million, $50 million properties off of YouTube videos. I'll give you another example that you and most people know is Gary Vaynerchuk. Who did he design his content for? He didn't design it for his core client. He designed it for Gen Z, the young, the young community talking about, um, in the beginning it was all about hustling and you know mindset and business stuff and things like that. But why, why he was so brilliant is he understood that audience was so big and it was playing to that general audience that it just kept bubbling up, bubbling up, bubbling up to the point that he grew so big that yes, he was still reaching that general audience of the young entrepreneurial mindset um, audience, but it was still, he, he was generating so much awareness that it would attract the CMO of Coke or Pepsi or Nike or all these companies. And he built Vayner Media off of that. So even Gary's doing it, you know, brilliantly. So that's why I really, uh, I try and, 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 and steer people away from this mindset of, okay, we're going to design a specific piece of content for a very specific audience and everything's going to fall into place. 
I'm not saying that there's not examples of that still working today. Like from a paid acquisition standpoint, it can work, but it's getting harder and harder and harder to do that when there's so much competition for attention in the world that we find ourselves in today. So going back to your initial question, um, you know, I, the, again, what I did was an experiment. Okay. So I just want to set that foundation. It was purely an experiment. So for me, uh, the first experiment with Facebook and I can get into Instagram, but I was testing everything. I mean, I, I had tested 5,000 variations of content in 30 days to do this. Now that doesn't mean I was testing 5,000 pieces of content. I was taking each piece of content and testing it hundred, 200 different ways. Uh, but I was testing, um, travel-based content, inspirational content, podcast content, comedic-based content, political-based content, pet-based content, just kind of everything across the board. Cause I wanted to kind of a, make sure that this could work for anything. Um, but B, I wanted to see what was really resonating, what was really connecting uh, to drive that performance. Questions that come up for me, Brendan, is is like I get Gary Vaynerchuk and I get, you know, how these companies have made catered their messages to the masses. But, you know, what comes up for me is like, what if somebody has a seven figure business selling sweaters to grandmas or like knitting for a very specific niche. What do you do then? I mean, is it, is it, is there still options for such a small niche like that? I think you can still make that interesting for the general audience. Okay. Like knitting sweaters, for example, I think that there's a lot of different things that you can do to like knit cool and interesting designs Mm -hmm. to open it up from a performance standpoint. Um, or you just get really good at paid acquisition yeah. I, and and you tap into other audiences, like if it's grandmothers, what, what type of blogs or Facebook groups, or, um, maybe other content creators are reaching that audience. But again, uh, the more that you're niching down and designing content for a very specific audience with not looking at how to make it general, then you're ultimately going to struggle and fail. And, and you can do it. It's definitely doable. I think so many people just get caught up in kind of their brand ethos or their brand mission to say, I only want to speak to this audience because it's the only audience I want to serve. And that just really lo- you know, leads to, to struggles for, for performance. That makes sense. Okay. But it can be done. Yeah. Like another YouTube account, um, as people say, well, can you make anything sexy and perform? Yes. Taxes, probably one of the least sexy ones, but there was an amazing <laughs> account on YouTube, clear tax value. Mm-hmm. And he hit it right on the head during COVID. And he anchored a lot of his stuff to stimulus checks. And it was just him sitting in front of a camera, nothing fancy, mm-hmm. but his performance is insane. Mm. So you, you can do it. Um, and again, it's like, they're looking at it, um, Claire Tax Value, Ryan Surhan, Gary V. They're look. They're playing chess when other people are playing checkers. They're right. looking at the larger application of syndicating content out into the world. Yeah, I think one thing too that's important to note that a lot of people don't don't realize before going into spending a lot of time and money into growing their following is is how much work. I think the professional creators are really putting into the content that they're creating, you know, and they're, they're working a lot. They're, you know, they're investing a lot of time and money into getting really good clickable um, and catchable content. And most people don't really realize that. And for some of them, it's nearly a full-time job, right? Well, it's like, just to give some examples, Gary V. I mean, the last time, I checked. I mean, he had a team of like 36 or 37 people working on his personal account. Wow. It may be a lot more than that. Mr. Beast, he's spending a million dollars plus for video. Yep. Uh, now that does not dilute anything that they're doing because A, they didn't start there. Yeah. And B, even with those resources does not mean you're going to be successful. Yeah. So, but that just gives you perspective of the amount of work, time and dedication that goes into it. Now, Again, that doesn't mean that you have to go figure out how to spend a million dollars a video or how to hire, you know, 30 people plus, but just have an understanding of the trajectory of where it, it kind of goes with success. So you had your content 
Brendan, and you were you were testing it. So you would get different types of content and you would test it a hundred different ways or whatever. And then I guess, did you come to a point when you were like, okay, let's try, did, did you start off thinking you would do some, some alliances or some strategic alliances to grow, to use other people's networks to grow yours? Facebook, no, but Instagram, yes. The entire Instagram growth strategy is built off of that for Okay. That platform. Cause, cause the dynamics of, of both of those platforms are different. So Facebook is, is really based around shareability and that share button. Mm -hmm. So you can syndicate content out through your profile. And if you have the right content, yes, it needs to stop the scroll and hold attention, but people can click that share button and you can exponentially grow out that way. Um, other platforms like, uh, Instagram, for example, is not really built around shareability. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that you can't grow by triggering the algorithms. You can, I've seen it, but it's few and far between. What I've really seen is distribution of content outside of the channel to driving it back into it. So let's take like a few different examples of that. So let's take The Rock. I think at this point, he's the most followed Instagram person. If not, he's in the top two or three. Okay. Uh, most people would be like, well, The Rock grew that purely organically. He did not. Every movie The Rock is in, the marketing budget is $100 million plus. Right. Every time he, he was started off in WWE, one of the most watched TV shows in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, Every time he's promoting something, he's on the cover of Men's Health, or he'll go do a promotion on ESPN or, or these things. And all of those things are driving traffic back to his brand. Yeah. And more importantly, his social channels. So that's where like he becomes the number one most followed, um, you know, person on Instagram. So if we take that down a notch, because I don't think any of us here are The Rock or an Ariana Grande or Taylor Swift, if we if we break it down into like Instagram, for example, we have just seen a lot of success of people promoting content and other channels and driving it back. Mm -hmm. So that can happen organically. That can happen through strategic partnerships. That could happen, you know, through paid partnerships. So it's just this concept of how can we get our message and our brand syndicated out onto other high traffic um, uh, accounts or platforms to drive that traffic back. Right. Another a perfect analogy of this is is YouTube. How did YouTube get acquired for 1.7 billion dollars in less than two years? Most people don't know this story, but the I time that, that the YouTube was founded, MySpace was the predominant player mm -hmm. and MySpace did not have a video player. So YouTube created one of the first embeddable video players. And what happened is they, they strategically started getting people to put it onto their MySpace profile. And then each time you saw a friend or there wasn't even really influencers back then, but maybe a celebrity or something posting a video with a YouTube player and had a YouTube logo Everybody else was, well, I want to have a YouTube player because MySpace was all about designing your personal space and personal presence. So people kept clicking the YouTube and grabbing that same video or uploading their own video. So what they YouTube grew so fast because it did the same thing is like it tapped into a pre-existing traffic source mm -hmm. to drive traffic back to them. So that's kind of the analogy that I like to use when it pertains to kind of strategic partnerships. And it's a great tactic. Uh, especially for, for Instagram growth. What are some recommendations for the listeners out there on how to create their own strategic partnerships? Um, people look uh, for to work with um, some collaborations, ideas for collaborations, or even just when reaching out to those people. Yeah. So there's a few ways. Let's just kind of start with the organic approach. So the first fundamental aspect is what is the value that you're offering this other account because, or this other content creator, because if they're successful on a higher level, they probably have people reaching out to them all the time. So it's like, for an example, it's like musicians is if you want to partner with a, an influencer, maybe you write or compose a song for one of their videos, or maybe you're a script writer, a comedic person, you offer to write a script for a content creator or your director or something like that uh, could be one way of doing it. It's just really looking at how does the 
participation of that other person benefit them, not benefit you. Because the minute that they see it's about benefiting you, they're most likely going to tune, tune you out. Right. That, that, that's kind of one way of approaching it. The other way is, is just through paid advertising too. It's like, you can test it. You know, there's meme accounts. There are accounts that are not individuals or not brands, but they're centered around specific um, topics. Like the good quote is all about positive inspirational quotes, Mm -hmm. or you'll have it around fitness or comedy or food. Uh, You can pay those accounts to feature your content to drive traffic back to you. However, that does not necessarily mean it's going to equate to a lot of followers for you because that content has to be dialed in. It has to motivate and inspire people. So you could literally organically or through paid get a video posted on a 20 million plus account. And if that 20 plus million follower account, and if that content doesn't really a stop the scroll, hold that attention and then B motivate people to be like, I have to follow this person. This person's amazing. Yeah you could lead to like 250 or less followers. Yeah. Now, if it's really dialed in, that single post could lead to 25, 50,000 followers. So, so again, it's that, that content distribution and give you another analogy to just nail down the point is, I don't know how many people are tennis fans, but something interesting happened in the U.S. Tennis Open, which is one of the biggest tennis tournaments in the world, is an 18-year-old girl started in the qualifier and went all the way through and won the U S open. Okay. And from winning that U S open, she went from less than, I think like a hundred thousand followers to over 2 million followers in a span of a few weeks. But it wasn't just that she won. It was her personality. It's what she represented. People really connected with her. You could say that a lot about a, a bunch of other champions, people that are not as charismatic or people don't connect with, then wouldn't have yielded the same results. results. Yeah. And I know you've done this multiple times. You did this project to grow your Facebook following. Then you did Instagram. Did you do LinkedIn also? Any other platforms? Not for my personal channel. We've Our team has tackled every okay. channel, not through my personal accounts, but as I mentioned collectively, all the projects we've worked on, we've generated hundreds of millions of followers and billions of views. It's got to be over like 50, 60 billion views at this point. So we have wow. a pretty diverse understanding of how each of the, the platforms work. What is your favorite platform and why? It's a great question. I love YouTube. Yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of the platform that I dive in because I learn a lot from YouTube. It's the consumption platform that I use a lot. I love Instagram too. Uh, I think kind of that deeper connection of of seeing behind the scenes of the people that you really uh, admire or connect with, I think is interesting. But I would say I, I resonate more with YouTube mm-hmm. from just that longer form consumption. Uh, I love LinkedIn from the B2B business applications. I mean, I've kind of cut my throat on kind of, or cut my teeth on um, uh, B2B yeah. relationships and you can close major deals off of it. Uh, but yeah, I think that those are kind of, my favorite ones. I've got to ask about two platforms. One's really hot and one to me seems like it's kind of dying off. Snapchat, which uh, I haven't used in years and I don't really know anybody that does. And then now TikTok, who's a major player. And what are your thoughts on both those platforms and where they're going? Well, Snapchat made two major mistakes that caused their downfall. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be very difficult to recover from. Uh, number one is they did not listen to the creators and the influencers themselves. And, you know, they were certain things like discoverability it was nearly impossible to discover and find new people, new influencers to follow. Uh, that was just one example of uh, areas they didn't listen to the creator themselves. Uh, Vine was another thing as well as they didn't listen to the creators and and really get them to feel like they were partners in it. And then the minute like an Instagram in- introduces stories or reels or those things, it was very easy for that loyalty to die off. Yeah. Um, so that was one fatal flaw. The second fatal flaw is 
there was too much ego around going after tier one countries, like primarily the US and the UK, when the smarter platforms, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, the TikToks of the world uh, understood that it's a global picture. Yeah. You know, the US is such a small fraction of the world population. And that's why, like, I have a whole chapter in the book fo- focused on going global because there's a massive audience out there. It's like why India is like the number one market that everybody's investing billions and billions of dollars in because they see that as the next frontier as, as well as Africa. You know, there's still about a third of the world's population that's not connected to the internet. Yeah. So there's massive growth opportunity there. Uh, TikTok, uh, I think one thing people overlook is TikTok did not happen overnight. Like this has been building for six or seven years. Okay. Um, you know, it started off as musically in the beginning. And I think what they did so brilliantly that a lot of people caught on is their algorithms are so content creator friendly that their algorithms are really about syndicating your content out to new people where the other platforms YouTube does, but it's, it's, it's really hard barrier of entry because of the length of content you have to produce to really work that. But, uh, you know, people could go viral overnight much easier. They could build audiences much easier with TikTok. On top of the fact, I think, and and they followed Instagram's footsteps, what they did so brilliantly is they made it super easy to engage and create content on the platform. Uh, and I think that that also propelled it. Uh, what the future and longevity of that platform is going to be is still to be seen. Uh, you know, the one thing that I really admire about uh, you know, especially Facebook, which is now Meta, and people kind of give them flack all the time, but they are constantly evolving. They constantly are, they are never happy with where they're at. They are always testing things. They're always open to acquiring something, trying something completely new. And you see this with the Meta universe. Um, they're thinking five, 10, 15 years ahead of everybody else. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how TikTok evolves. You know, how are they going to treat creators? Because they still have a monetization issue for creators uh, that will still be kind of seen of how that that folds out. And how are they going to uh, fight off Facebook and Instagram as they try to do the same thing that they did to Snapchat and reproducing features and skill sets? You know, YouTube has shorts now. So people are gunning for TikTok um, and it's going to be really critical for TikTok to look at what is the evolution of our platform because TikTok, the way it is today, will not sustain over the long term. It will get old. It will die out. But that does not mean that they can't innovate. Yeah. Uh, in addition is how effective is their advertising platform? You know, because it has to be ad supported and it has to be a positive experience for advertisers as well to continue that trajectory. Is there any platform that doesn't exist that you would really like to see exist? It's a great question. And I would say for me personally, no, because I focus on the present, but I, you know, for some people that are way smarter than me, that are looking at the longevity of this, uh, you know, yeah. People ask me, well, where is social media going? And I always say is social media is going to where the hardware allows it to go. Hardware dictates innovation, not the underlying software. So everybody thinks that Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube are going to define the future of social media, but it's not. It's companies like Apple and Microsoft um, and even you know Google with Android and things like that that are really going to dictate. That's why... Um, Facebook's moved to, and I don't know when it was, it must've been at least four or five years, but to build, to buy Oculus for a billion dollars was such a brilliant move. Or even Google with Android um, was such a, in, in, in building their own phones was such a brilliant model. Uh, so it's a great question. I don't, I don't know that I have a very intelligent answer because I try and focus on kind of the opportunity in the present moment of, of these platforms. But uh, if anybody is curious, just really pay attention to where the hardware is going because that's going to really dictate everything. So I know you have a new book called Hook Point, 
and discussing a five-step framework of grabbing people's attention. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you're talking about in framework and, and what we can learn from it or in hook point and what we can learn from it? Yeah. So it, it plays off of a lot of what we talked about today is, you know, 1 million followers. When I wrote that was really focused on follower acquisition in addition to content strategy and, and other things. But as again, the social landscape continues to evolve, there's more people on it, the more competition. I just saw a gearing um, gap in people's ability to really understand. And I think one of the biggest problems is how do you stop the scroll? I think that that's one of the key challenges that people face in addition to your retaining uh, audience. So that's where uh, hook point really stepped into, into play is how can we help teach people to be more effective content creators, starting with how do you actually grab that attention? And secondarily, how do you hold that attention? So hook point is all around those core principles and it, and it works for social media, obviously, but it also works for offline conversations, um, B2B client acquisition, in all aspects of that. So that's where Hookpoint really breaks down uh, those core principles and how to apply them to your overall marketing strategy. And one quick question before we wrap up, Brendan, I've got to ask for the podcasters out there, what are some ways that we can grab attention? Because I think there's I don't know how many millions of podcasts now, and it seems like it's a very saturated world and, and people are starting podcasts and then within a few months abandoning them, but those are still out there and competing with the other podcasts. So what's your thought on, on podcasting platforms and ways people can grow those and, and grab attention and grow their audience? Yeah, we've done a lot of research in this, uh, and we've helped launch some podcasts. And I would say one of the reoccurring themes that we've seen with the most successful podcasts is they're creating some form of experience. You know, it's not a question and answer type thing. It, it feels like a true experience that you're a part of. I think like comedy podcasts do an amazing job of this. You know, Joe Rogan's done an amazing uh, job of this. Uh, um, but I would really look at the most successful podcast out there and and really kind of dissect that. And, and I would even see, even though like Tim Ferriss's podcast is successful, if you look at the difference between Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan, there's a clear pattern of why Joe Rogan is, is the biggest you know show on the planet, let alone podcast. So I, I would say, it, you know, if you're a podcast and really looking to take it to the next level is what is that experience that you're giving the listener that they can't get anywhere else? Uh, and then two is like one of the biggest things that we've seen and, and it was one of the key reasons I think Joe Rogan's was successful is what are those hook points and those entry points into your ecosystem? Because like Joe Rogan's a two and a half, three hour show. He didn't grow by getting people to start listening two and a half, three hours. What he did so brilliantly is the clip channel. Now, obviously, since he's moved to Spotify, that's kind of uh, starved, uh, staved off. But if you go back and look at his clip channels, they did amazing hook points of these short form clips that then said, well, I want to go listen to the rest of this interview. So he kind of leveraged each interview and found four or five hook points for each one to figure out what are different entry points to get people excited about this interview uh, to dive deeper into the experience that he's creating for people. I appreciate that. Okay, man, we're going to wrap up there. Brendan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom with us. And if the listeners want to learn more about what you have going on and where they can get your new book at, where's the best place they can find you? Yeah, if they want to dig in deeper to our methodology, they can go to hookpoint.com. Um, we've got a free video there. They can download our deck and schedule a call with us. If they want our books, they can get our books anywhere. Books are sold. Uh, we have add-ons and things like that. If you go to book.hookpoint.com or book.1millionfollowers.com. Brendan, again, I appreciate all your, your time and sharing your experience with us. It's been a blast, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a true pleasure connecting with you and everybody that uh, tuned into this. Yeah, likewise. Listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us. And once again, we wanted to remind you about our adventures and trips for entrepreneurs in our private community. If you enjoy luxury trips to the Caribbean, going on bucket list adventures around the world, or just traveling to connect with other established entrepreneurs, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay connected at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. Thanks for joining the show today, and we'll see you on the next episode.